You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're the show where we try to help you who run businesses or run teams find better ways to do more and break it down into simple common sense type bite-sized nuggets that you can consume and use. My guest today is a gentleman who's going to help us with uh, a whole lot of thinking about performance and results. And let's face it, isn't that what we're ultimately all about. His name is Aaron Trahan. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I, I guess I should have uh, really challenged myself. Is it Trahan or Trahan? Did I? Which way do you? No, go? you did. You did great. Trahan. Trahan's perfect. That is until you cross the border into Louisiana, and they have a different opinion uh, <laughs> on the pronunciation. But for our purposes here today, yeah, we'll we'll go with Trahan. All right. Well, as is a bit of a custom here, give us a little bit of your background journey on what has led you to this focus area that you're into now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for me, since I was early uh, in my career at the intern stage, I always found myself as just a very passionate student of leadership and performance. And what was it that made successful professionals find new levels of success? And um, I got my dose of, uh, or first dose of leadership, I should say, at a very early age of 23 years old, where uh, I was in a, a pretty tough, fast-paced environment. I happened to be the next man up and, you know, at 23, kind of got uh, put in charge of a $100 million business and really had to learn on the fly. And while I had success from there and continued to work my way up, had some more wins, found myself as a, you know, a 30-year-old with, you know, almost uh, eight years of experience under my belt, now in charge of a billion-dollar uh, revenue operation and part of an executive leadership team um, of a publicly traded company. But while that's the headline... What sits underneath that was I'm confident I've made every mistake there was to be made on the journey of, of yeah. leadership. And, you know, uh, someone put it to me is, yeah, at one level, you can be a great player. But as you go to new levels, you find yourself as good or merely an average player. And you've got to continue to raise your game. You've got to continue to rise to that next level. And it was a bit of a, a crisis moment for me of saying, as Marshall Goldsmith uh, famously says, what got me here will not get me there. I picked up a lot of bad habits on the way. Uh, there was a, a high level of complacency. I kind of got content with the status quo of the early success that I had. And I knew right then and there, I had to rebuild. I had to go back to the drawing board. I had to find a way to get back into growth mode. And that's what really projected and propelled me on the path that I'm that I'm on today. You know, when you're a 23-year-old kid put in charge of a business, you don't come out of college knowing how to lead people, uh, knowing how to help people generate new levels of performance. So for me, that was kind of that going back to the drawing board and I've got to redesign everything. I've got to recreate, recalibrate my approach. And that work, so to speak, kind of led me 
to stumble upon a passion that turned into a a purpose that was really geared towards helping other people reach new levels of success. And long story short, over the past, I would say five to seven years, that just became the itch that I just couldn't scratch. And so it was that gravitational pull that ultimately led me to last year launching my own leadership and performance coaching firm, where now I kind of get to do my dream job on a day in, day out basis of working with high performers helping them reach and achieve new levels of success and finding their next best version. So at a 30,000 foot view, that's how it started. That was the fork in the road moment. And that's what led me to what I'm doing today. I think that's where you and I really did connect when we first met, because much of what you said is very similar in my own journey. I've had kind of a lifelong curiosity about leadership and a, certainly a passion for trying to work and improve it. And, and it was that burning knowing that you had to keep upping your game. As the stakes got higher, the scope got bigger, and the, the size of the team increased, you had to find those new and better ways. And I'm a, I'm a fan, as you mentioned, of Marshall and love the book, you know, what got you here won't get you there. And it is that message. And, you know, it's ironic for those who are followers of sports, you, you read stories of the, you know, the stars of the premier league or the NFL or the MLB and, and you know, the journey they've made to go come up from, well, here in the U S we just finished little league world series. So 12 year old playing ball. And then those guys might make it to high school ball. And if they do that college, then minor league pro ball, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's just a continuous progression. The cuts get deeper. I mean, people that don't make it are much larger in number than those that do. 100%. For those that do, it's a, it's a perpetual learning and growth process to get there. Yeah. And I think what, what the insightful thing that you just said, it, it really comes down to having that focus and that discipline of instilling the continuous improvement into your approach, uh, never being satisfied with the status quo. It's kind of one of my, one of the taglines that I try to throw out everywhere is great performers never settle for the status quo. And what's interesting about that is the more, the more success and the more experience you gain, the easier it becomes over time to accept and be content with status quo. And so if you are not elevating your battle against complacency or the comfort zone more so today than you were five years ago, 10 years ago, you're most likely going to lose that battle. And so as you said, as you reach new levels, there's gotta be a, a whole different level of commitment to installing that continuous improvement approach that's going to help you tap into higher levels of potential, finding your best version, and ultimately achieving new levels of success. Because the comfort zone, it's it's a it's the best salesperson on the planet. It will convince you of anything and everything to not take action and just be okay with where you're at right now. And the second that you start believing that message, um, growth becomes elusive. It's kind of like take that 
perpetual breath and 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 you know if you think you've arrived you you don't know where you are yeah <laughs> that's, that's that right high. that's exactly <laughs> right yeah well let me ask you this you know I, right here on this show we've we've talked a lot and i've had interviews with many many guests we've we've all poked around the idea of a new normal post-covid and and specifically by new normal i'm talking about in respect to business and business leadership and clearly there's still a lot of unknowns an old acronym has resurfaced and i hear it a lot uh, the word is vuca it's the acronym that stands for volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous and <laughs> When I coach my own leaders, uh, you know, that that is a common complaint or common concern. You know, that there's uncertainty, there's complexity, there's unknowns. And so I say all that to ask you the question, what is the definition of high performance in today's crazy VUCA world of business? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I think of a high performer, I think of it through the lens at which they are looking at the next level. Right. And so are they looking in the rear view mirror and kind of back to that complacency and status quo of kind of being OK with where they're at and happy to show their track record of, hey, look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. And so I've kind of arrived um, and. On the other side of that, when I think about a high performer, what really exemplifies to me someone who I would put as a, as a high performer versus someone who has performed highly in the past is, are they looking out the front windshield? Yes, they may have a very similar successful track record. They've got some notches on their belt. They've got some achievements they're proud of, but it goes back to that saying that we talked about earlier great performers never settle for status quo. They are comfortable being uncomfortable, especially in macro environments that uncertainty, volatility is kind of the norm of the day. They don't let those elements create inaction. As a matter of fact, they lean into that. And so they know that there is no substitute for taking action, and they're constantly on that search to find out what more they are truly capable of. What more are they able to kind of tap into that reservoir of their potential? And it really boils down to having that quest of finding their next best version. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the mantle that they kind of uh, pray to, so to speak. I always encourage my executives to, when we start a, a coaching engagement, I challenge them with the idea, what is the next version of you? Have you thought about defining the, the next iteration? Call it version 2.0 or 3.0, whatever floats your boat about that thinking. But have you thought about it? Have you defined? Mm -hmm. And yes, you may be a successful leader. You might even be already, you know, in the C-suite somewhere. But with this notion that you're talking about, there's there's always the potential for more. Can you and have you 
thought about what that next level can really be. And I'm talking for the, the individual personally as a leader in their organization. <clears throat> can they put the, the frame around that and say, if I can just achieve these things in terms of, you know, maybe it's my communication, maybe it's my strategic thinking, maybe it's my analytical abilities, whatever. There, there's a wide spectrum, obviously, yeah. we can talk about. But have you done the work to define what that is and, and not let it be that elusive fog out over the over the the hood of the car, so to speak? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think what what the box that you just opened is the is the critical thing to unpack because kind of going back to I believe a comment you made at the very beginning of the conversation is that when you think about professionals, when you think about those, you know, in the especially in the corporate environment, I've yet to come across someone who has told me, I don't want to see any better results. I don't want any better performance. I'm completely good. They're, like I don't I don't want anything to get better. That that doesn't exist. Everybody has at least some underlying desire or ambition to see better results and performance. So if that's universal and somewhat standardized, the big question becomes, well, why why does let's say the 90% never never reach that level while it's really just the the small minority that does? And I think what you just opened up is so many people don't know how. So it's one thing to think and believe and wish that you could generate better results. But when it comes down to taking action, when it comes down to the how, that's the biggest thing due to a lack of awareness and a lack of clarity that then creates kind of the uncertain environment of exactly how to take those steps that creates inaction. And those ambitions for next level, next level results just stay trapped as ideas. And so I think what the key point there is, is it's not all that different than opening up your the GPS, uh, the Google Maps or Apple Maps on your phone to get an optimized route to a destination you want to get to. You've got to be very clear on two things. Where am I now? What is my current version? What is my current state? And then where is that next level? Have you really taken the time to strategically think about where you want to go and why it's important for you to go there? to give you a destination to plug in that ultimately when you have those two data points, then and only then are you able to create, develop, and build an optimized route to go from current to ideal. Um, but so many people get trapped in the in the inaction, the, the, the uncertainty of the how, where they never really do do the work to clarify and crystallize what those two endpoints and beginning points are. And so if you don't know where you where you're currently at and why, you don't know where you want to go and why, you'll never create a route to kind of get there. And if you do, it'll be filled with dead ends and wrong turns. Well, I, I agree with you totally, and I, I I love that word picture. The knowing the two things, knowing exactly where you are now, and knowing exactly where you want to be going that that is so critical. And the reality is, many leaders they have gotten to where they are through some kind of evolutionary journey that the company has orchestrated. 
And as I've said many times, we have this weird tradition in modern business. We need a frontline supervisor. We go pick our best producer, our best contributor, and, and anoint them as supervisor. And sadly, and I don't have any hard data on this, but just experiential mm -hmm. reflection, the majority of the time, all we've done is ruined our good producer. <laughs> we haven't really created an amazing manager. So yeah. that person, God love them, gets on this journey of be on the so-called management track. It might be an aspiration they've got. Sometimes it's not. And uh, nonetheless, they, they go through these iterative things, one, two, and three promotions. And then all of a sudden you hit a whole new plateau where the company is demanding strategic thinking, but all you've ever known how to do is deliver transactionally or tactically. Right, right. And that becomes the uncertain rub, the, the double bind. And if the company's not good about helping you through that transition, you've got a whole new level of anxiety as a leader. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's where, that's exactly where leadership comes in. Um, it's beyond finding the right person for the role, getting them in the right spot. But then there's a, then what? Are you there to help them generate the awareness they need, generate the clarity they need, help, help with implementing the supporting milestones and goals that actually not only pinpoint the development areas around where the gaps are today, but putting some processes and programs in place as a leader to help them rise to the next level that ultimately benefits the team. But your intuition is spot on. And while we don't have data that we can cite, there is entirely too much sink or swim type of promotions out there. And without the structure that a great leader can provide to help people, you know, get that springboard to the next level, to help remove the obstacles, to help identify those development areas in a sink or swim moment, There, especially with the macro environment that you just mentioned that we're going into and we'll only see more of in the future around uncertainty and volatility, the end result of that is way more sinking than swimming. And not only is that a detriment to the leader themselves, that they may have been a star performer, they may have been the top salesperson that is not working out in terms of leading a sales team, but think about all the people underneath them. Think about the bad experience they are getting from leadership that's going to result into more and more people showing up, expressing smaller and smaller percentages of their full potential and capability in their day-to-day. That's the big, the compounding negative impact that all stems from the seed of bad leadership. Right. As the old phrase goes, people join companies but quit bosses. That's right. And I was doing a show with a guy out of New York the other day, and and he, we were talking about that, and he reflected, and he said, oh, my God, that's what I've done my whole career. He said, mm -hmm. I've, I've quit a lot of bosses. <laughs> And, and, yeah. I've, and I've been on the other side of that. I've had some people quit on me because kind of going back to my early journey where I had to do that, you know, I had to do that hard look in the mirror around where are my development areas? Where am I failing? 
Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I keep this uh, 360 degree feedback kind of uh, note right here, you know, right here at my uh, right here at my desk. That way I can always see, you know, the blind spots that I wasn't able to see whenever I was in the heat of battle. Um, and one of the things that came out was I felt validated by my successes and achievements. My ego was out of control. Um, and the end result was I was not a good people leader. I was not putting those around me in more positions to succeed and for them to get to the next level. And that was a big, you know, check your ego at the door. You've got to change everything you're doing because back to the Marshall Goldsmith quote, what got me here won't get me there. If I'm defining there as next level success and achievement, I can't keep doing what I've been doing. I've got to change. I've got to invest in, in the growth of these areas. And I've got to be a better leader because once you kind of come around to the reality that when you can make everybody around you better and operate at their full potential and their best version, you will rise by default. If you think it's all about you and you're just not a good leader to those around you, you're almost putting a low ceiling on your capability. For me, that was the big tectonic shift that changed everything. Right. You know, and as we've said all this, what comes to my mind is the big challenge that in in terms of becoming a good, effective leader and, and even taking your leadership to the next level, if you've already got a, a, a proven track record of success, it is so much an, an, a very internal game and, and it's kind of, you know, leader lead thyself, you know, start with leading yourself before you think about leading others. And so much, there are so many things that spin out of that idea, starting with, you know, being able to battle your own demons about values and principles that you believe in or sets of limiting beliefs you may have where you kind of self-govern, self-regulate, pull back because of some untruth likely, but nonetheless a message that's going on in your head. And this is where coaching borders on therapy, but um, you know, it, it is an undeniable truth that every leader struggles with those internal demons that might be swirling in their head. Yeah, I, you know, I kind of think of it as the the oxygen mask concept, right? And so every flight that we've ever been on, what what are we instructed? We must put our oxygen mask on first before we're able to effectively help other people. I, I can't think of a better analogy and concept that perfectly aligns with leadership. If you are not growing as a leader, yet you have the expectation that you're going to be a better leader in the future, able to help more people, make a bigger impact, create more dynamic teams, you're, you're fooling yourself. And so I, I, I love to talk to startup founders all the time about this and just ask a simple question of saying, especially in these high growth moments, right? Because growth can mask all kinds of weaknesses and illnesses because you're, it's so easy to look at a report and saying, well, we grew 50% last year. We're up, you know, we're up 100%. So it's very easy to do in high growth environments. But I love to ask leaders, how much bigger is your organization? How much more dynamic is your organization today than it was, say, two or three years ago? 
and the pride just comes out. Oh, we're three times the size. Oh, we're, we're, you know, we've doubled uh, from where we were just two years ago. And I said, great, congratulations. I want to shine the spotlight on you now. How much better have you become as a leader, as, as the steward of this, of this organization over that time period? Because if you haven't developed and grown your capabilities, your skill sets at the same level, the company that you are responsible for leading is growing at a much faster rate than you are, that will spell trouble. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but I can assure you the business is outgrowing your ability to effectively execute and manage that will show up in the future. It's undefeated. Um, and it's always kind of a, a lightning bolt type of moment of saying, yeah, they're very introspective of saying, I can see it on their face, them asking the question, what have I done to grow as a CEO, as a leader, as a founder over the past two years? And especially comparing that to how the business has grown, there's normally a pretty tremendous gap in how they've grown as a leader and how the business has grown. I agree with you totally. And I reflect on my years in banking of, of watching client companies that, that we banked go through that, the so-called mom and pop startups that came to us for help. And then we watched them grow and you, you are spot on there. There is opportunity. If the idea is good, if the product is good, there can be some pretty fast traction to get those revenue numbers that 2x, 3x in a, in a relatively short period of time, because it, let's face it, it's all relative. You know, if you, if you open the doors and you sell one hamburger and now tomorrow you sell two hamburgers, you got a hundred percent gain, you Double know, the Boom. business. Oh, hey, we're geniuses. We're, we're, we're rocketing, you know, but yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. And I even, I even put a name on it. I call it the paradox of success. If, if the company growth is outpacing the leader growth, you're you're totally right. You're you're going to hit this invisible wall where the force and magnitude of the company growth is is going to start. It, it, it's kind of like as uh, as some of the experimental aircraft approach Mach one, they start rattling and shaking, and things start coming loose and falling off, and all of a sudden, you know, you you can't sustain flight anymore. And the same is true with those companies. And I, I talk a lot about the idea for the leader, the founder to need to seriously focus on the shift from founder to CEO. Right. And, and start making, and I'm back to now, back to my mental point of, of doing the work to really assess and ask yourself the question, what am I doing that's holding back the growth of this company? I had a guest on my show last year that told an amazing story. I wish it was mine, but I'll, I'll, I'll give credit to someone else. There was a, a company in New York that had started up. The founder had, had done a great job and built a team of about 25 people. And one day, one of the people came to him and said, hey, boss, we're rocking and rolling. Can we just take the afternoon off and all go down to the coffee shop on the corner and the whole team just let's just just celebrate for the afternoon because that's a great idea so he walks out to the floor and says shut it down shut it down uh, meet up at the coffee shop 
So they go there. Well, he's innocently thinking we're just going to have this nice little social. But the same spokesperson came and said, now that we've got you here, <laughs> we have a list. <laughs> we, we have determined that we have issues that we would like to share with you. And it was all about him. Mm-hmm. And apparently he had a tendency to micromanage and, and hover over people. And fortunately, there, there's a very good outcome to this story. He had the emotional intelligence to soak it all in. They told him the first thing about micromanaging. And he said, oh, my God, that's horrible. I, tell me more. Tell me more. You know, and they, they kind of went through the whole list. And a lot of it, he had to say, his response in the moment was, I need to go think about this, but I promise you I'll get back. And he did. And he had action plans for every one of these things on what he was willing to change. And the the point being, he had done a good job of building a team that was capable. They had already caught fire of his vision. Mm-hmm. So they were on board. There was no doubt about that. But they were experiencing the limiting factors that he was imposing on the business and confronted him about it. So obviously there was a there's an implied message there that he at least created some kind of culture where they were willing to stand up and say something. And he took it all in. And, you know, the company just really exploded after that. I mean, in a good way. Uh, you know, th- thank you for sharing that, Doug. That's that's such an incredible story because you're right that, you know, even though things weren't optimal, there was at least enough of a culture where the team felt somewhat comfortable to share this and the leader, most importantly, didn't take it personal, but took it seriously and had the accountability to fix, kind of fix what needed to be fixed. And I think it really speaks to a huge point around blind spots and kind of kind of goes back. This could be a derivative of the of the success paradox is once we have a certain level of success and a certain level of experience, it's amazing how those blind spots start to form. The things that, you know, we used to really pay attention to are now just kind of like, oh, 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 well, I mean, I'm I'm successful. I'm the boss kind of goes this my way. Um, and so I, I love to work with clients on show me your feedback loops. And that is such an important part. This ultimately had to come in the form of uh, of kind of a quasi intervention, but it's a feedback loop nonetheless. And so I think the single biggest question that not enough leaders ask frequently enough is identifying key stakeholders, whether they're on a similar level, they're below them, they're above them. But the simple question of how can I improve? And depending on the stakeholder, there may be different uh, different ideas. But if you're not asking that question, you're absolutely setting the stage for blind spots to emerge, blind spots to happen. And it's so commonly, um, it's just commonplace with leaders as they kind of rise the ranks, they reduce their feedback loops. There's almost this there's almost this sense that I've got it figured out. I've, I've got enough experience. I've been doing this for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You plug in the number. And the proactive approach to install feedback loops to get responses to that question of how can I improve is not a top priority. 
doesn't mean you have to believe everything and all the responses won't always be applicable. And the great thing about feedback that I learned, unfortunately, the hard way is don't take it personal, but take it serious because it's always someone else's perception of their version of the truth. Right. But as long as you're asking that question, as long as you have the right feedback loops, you can really shorten the kind of what I refer to as the pain journey of you doing something wrong that's having a negative impact on the team or your employees. Um, so you can make those adjustments much more quickly. Well, uh, taking what you just said one step further, I just finished a show with a gentleman. His name is Sean Hayes. He was a uh, very successful um, banker in the Midwest, and he, he, had, he was founder and chairman of a bank that became one of the largest regional of its size. But it, his story was just that. He had a, a circle of advisors, trusted advisors, that were not afraid to tell him the, the ugly truth about whatever he was thinking or doing. And it, it really held him accountable, held him on a straight and narrow. But as the success of the bank grew and, uh, you know, his own journey, he gradually through circumstance, as always does happen, these, these people kind of fell away, uh, not because of falling out or they had life changes and moved on and so on and so on, but he didn't replace those people. So his circle of advisors shrunk to near nothing. And he found himself in this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of doom because he got closer and closer to the edge of the gray area in decisions he was making. And finally, there was a series of events and decisions he did make with no advisory help whatsoever. He knew they were questionable, but he thought he could do it anyway and it would be okay. Well, it wasn't okay. He ended up in a federal penitentiary for three years. Oh, geez because of what ultimately was tagged as bank fraud and misappropriation of bank funds. And uh, it's it's a federal offense. So, you know, his whole career, journey, reputation, marriage, family, everything was stripped. Yeah, it's why I, I get asked a lot. I, I have a kind of a five-level mythology that I like to use that, you know, from personal experience, if these things develop a weakness, they will always show up as a headwind on your growth journey. And one of the ones that I get asked about frequently is number four, and it's thought partnerships. And what I mean by thought partnerships is it really fits perfectly with the story that you just told. So as you're a leader and you're having more levels of success, you're, you're achieving more it is natural to think that we all have it figured out or have it mostly figured out. And to your point with that, with that example, that those feedback loops or thought partnerships, as I call them, diminishes over time. But we all have to hold ourselves accountable because that is the single biggest learning accelerator that we can have is by having a robust ecosystem of thought partnerships that do a couple things. Who can you count on to stretch your thinking? Who can you count on around you to help broaden your perspectives that can even challenge some of those limiting beliefs and help you see problems and solutions from an entirely different lens? The smaller your thought partnerships or the smaller the group of your, of your thought partnerships, the less growth that you're going to be able to have. There's, there's no reason to sit back and 
learn from only your mistakes and your experiences, the great thing about a thought partnership is you can leverage the collective wisdom of your group that accelerates your learning and completely is able to reshape and enhance the way that you think, what you think about, your perspectives around that. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's one of the things that I encourage everybody is really evaluate your own version of your thought partnerships. And do you have do you have those partnerships in place? And if you don't have any, the most immediate action step is going out and find some thought and insight partners that can do some of that, that thought stretching. And, and, you know, for the small business owner that typically shows up as a so-called advisory board, uh, people will think in those terms, they'll, they'll collect. And some of the most successful entrepreneurs I know have done that early and they do it often. They, they amass this group and it doesn't have to be a big one. It could be three people. It could be five people, but you have this regular cadence of coming together. And even if it's just a quick phone call, Hey, I've got an idea. Can I bounce this off of you? And, and you get that gut check and checkpoint about your thinking. And if perhaps a limiting belief is holding you back. They can help identify that. If if you're a little bit overzealous in your thinking, as my colleague, you know, went into the deep into the gray area, somebody can pull you back out of that, saying, "No, you know, that's you do know that's technically illegal." Yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, yeah. okay. So it it you're absolutely right. I think having that um, thought leadership around you in your camp and in a circle. Well, Aaron, I tell you what, we're about up on time here. This has been uh, great, and I really appreciate you sharing. Tell the folks how to best get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing more. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty on my website at performancemindsetcoaching.co. Um, you can learn about how we can engage, how we can work together, my mythology, kind of what, what kind of goes into my approach and what separates me from everybody else out there. I also highly encourage uh, uh, to connect on LinkedIn. I'm constantly sharing insights and thoughts about leadership and how to how to increase and elevate performance. Um, so yeah, there's another another great way to take advantage of the most robust professional platform on the planet. So either one of those ways, um, I, I highly encourage. Let's let's connect and engage. I. Uh really like that. And as always, folks, we'll have that information in the show notes. So just drop down and uh, click the links and you'll be able to get a hold of Aaron if you're interested. And one last time, Aaron, thanks, man, for sitting in. Hey, I appreciate it. Great conversation. Well, folks, we're going to wrap this up and say goodbye. I always like to remind people that we've got a video version of this. If you're streaming right now on your favorite podcast app, we do have a video over on YouTube channel by the same name. We also are going to have snippets of this over on Instagram and uh, Pinterest. So uh, take a take a look over there, whatever your favorite channel may be. You can grab our information. We do have three shows a week that we drop. So we got a lot of content coming at you. We certainly hope this has been helpful. And if you've got a suggestion or an idea of a topic we haven't covered yet that you would like to hear, let me know. Or perhaps you yourself might be a good guest for the show. Let me know that too. You can reach me on, on my website at dougthorpe.com. That's T-H-O-R-P-E.com. 
there's a lot of uh, resource and uh, connection link over there that you can check out too. And I'd love to hear from you. So for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, go out there and make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.